Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Maria Richardson. Welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Maria. So glad to have you back for my longtime listeners. They know how brilliant you are, but thank you for co-hosting, co-piloting this morning's amazing show as I we introduce our special guest. I'm going to say hello to you and say hello to the Truth Seekers and give a little bit of your background, then we'll introduce our special guest who was just with us just a couple of weeks ago, actually. So she's a murder person, made, made Mental Dialogue her home here recently. But go ahead, Queen. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> well, good morning, and thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this today. Um, basically, really quickly, I am the owner of Management 24, marketing firm specializing in Facebook ads and email marketing as well as web design. All of your marketing needs, we are responsible for uh, basically helping your company go from zero to 60. Now, I absolutely love that. And if I could just quickly highlight um, just an added background that I know about that I think helps with this morning's discussion question, if you could just at least share uh, the experience with the even the interaction when we've had you on the show before with the concept of even doing, in a sense, business across the water with the motherland. I know you have a little bit of experience with that. If you can just kind of throw that out, because I think it's just appropriate for people to understand your background as we get into this morning's discussion question. Sure, absolutely. So I'm the co-founder of the Black Wealth Boot Camp, and the Black Wealth Boot Camp is a virtual course that teaches uh, black people across the, the world how to start their own business. So um, I'm not a, an owner of that entity anymore, but at the time that we launched, we had students in Paris, London, China, um, literally all around the world. 
No, absolutely. Okay. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing up something. I just remember there was a contact where you were doing some business yourself, and I just kind of recall that from one of the previous shows where you know you were able to assist people, say, hey, if somebody's wanting to look to do business with this, with you know, within the in the in in the continent, um, you had a, a good oh, point of yes. contact. And I, yeah, and I was just kind of referencing that because I thought it was yes. good good information for this morning's discussion. So that's where I was going. I'm sorry about that, Queen. No, no, that's okay. I didn't, um, yeah, so actually I don't own that business, but it's a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Harnett Bokrejian. She is the owner of the Africa Business Boot Camp, and she specializes in brokering partnerships between American, black American investors and African entrepreneurs on the ground. No, absolutely. I definitely wanted that to be a part of this discussion. Without further ado, we do have Tamika Peoples. Queen, thank you for being with us once again. She was just helping me co-pilot the show when we did the Bob Allen discussion. But now, today is all about you to a certain extent. I guess I should throw out the discussion question before I introduce you. Let me just kind of get it, get this thing going. Out of your cotton-picking mind, why should blacks take over the cotton industry. So if you will, Queen, thanks again for being with us and tell us your background and, and to a certain extent how it directly relates to this morning's discussion question. Go ahead, Queen. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sister. How you doing? Thank you for being on the show as well. Dr. Harnett is amazing. She does great work with those broker relationships for those interested in doing business on the ground in Africa. Know her well. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm Tamika Peoples. I am uh, owner of Seat to Shirt. But I uh, just a little bit of background on me. I do um, business in government contracting as well as uh, own a founder of a nonprofit. We do a lot of work. Uh, now it looks like even internationally doing STEM and uh, national partnerships where we bring in uh, people into the community where we do STEM, STEM work with the children as well as uh, community building with at-risk youth. So happy to be a part of this show. Uh, that's just a bit of my background, but my focus today is really on seat to shirt and talking about what we're doing in that effort. Uh, Montoya, thank you for having me, and this morning's discussion uh, centered around uh, cotton and apparel manufacturing and why we're entering into this space and what we're going to be doing about uh, the reason why we're not represented well in the industry. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Uh, glad to have you, and again, I'm so glad to have Queen Maria Richards being co-hosting. I think she's going to be imperative to this discussion, but let's start like we always start. So this morning's discussion question, once again, is out of your cotton-picking mind, why blacks should take over the cotton industry? And so what we do now, Maria, I know it's been a while since you heard this, but our initial approach before we go to our first break is just to ask, when you hear that discussion question that way, what was the first thing that came to mind when you, when I sent it to you to say, hey, here's the question. Do you recall your first initial thought? And, again, it's just the, the, the first thing that came to your mind. It could be, what in the world is that? I don't care what it is. But either way, we'd like to hear what that first thought was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say that my first thought was, you know, obviously the, the connection to uh, slavery. So that was my initial thought, and I was kind of, you know, kind of pondering in my own mind, like, how does that feel emotionally for us to take over an industry that we were actually once forced to um, be a part of and not be paid for it, not be compensated for the work that we put in? So that that's what initially came to my mind when I read, you know, the, today's question. 
Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was you know so it was cool. That was that was somewhat intentional. So I'm glad you gathered it that way. Um, speak for yourself, obviously knowing that in a sense you are the focus of this morning's discussion. But again, when you heard the verbiage of how it was worded, that particular question, what was your first first thought as well? Real quick, um, just kind of share one. I think maybe somebody maybe breathing into the phone or something like that because we can kind of catch it on the air. So I don't know how you're holding your phone, but I just kind of want to point it out. We could maybe get that taken out of the um, um, the broadcast. Uh, but either way, I just want to kind of throw that out because it'll definitely last throughout the broadcast if I don't point it out. But yeah, if you will, Queen, what was your first thought when you heard that discussion question? Well, you know, I have to agree with Sister. I was. It, it does take you back to the times of when we weren't compensated and we essentially built uh, America's industries uh, based off of cotton production, and so. You know, to be quite honest, that's the reason why after delving so deep into this topic of production, when I was trying to source a blank T-shirt made by a black company, (laughs) and I kept going even deeper and realized that um, cotton, (laughs) which is the industry really that fuels the world, built America, that's still a billion-dollar industry, is we're completely cut out of that. We have farmers who were – very big producers who are now relegated to very small percentage of that industry as that industry continues to grow. Um, it just it takes me back to you know where are we at um, and where what part of this ownership do we want to have and what do we need to do about it in order to change that? Because I know right now as uh, conscious consumers, as brothers and sisters who are listening to the sound of our voices, we have decided that this is the new black. Wall Street movement, right? We have decided that we're going to take back ownership in certain sections of of America or industry at large, right? So if we're going to do that, I, I believe we need to focus on sourcing and production and 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 being part of an industry that we essentially thrive. We make the fashion industry move, full stop, black people do, right? Uh, but are there any mm-hmm. production houses that we can go to to do things? Where are the where's the material coming from? Because since we know that cotton is in seventy percent of what we use daily, and certainly seventy percent of what we put on, so why is it our black cotton farmers are died on the vine? But meanwhile, that industry is growing. Why is it we're you know fueling to the tune of billions, five point one billion dollars annually, black folks on spending in apparel? And where do we have, where's our ownership at the production end? Because when we have ownership there, we have true agency. So my thoughts, of course, go much deeper <laughs> and broader. <laughs> I know uh, everyone's like, oh, my goodness, mm-hmm. okay. But <laughs> it, um, it, it, it struck a chord with me because, um, you know, we're not. Let me do this. Maybe, fact, let me do this because I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that you went broad because it gives us a lot of context for this morning's discussion. I actually extended letting you get all of it out because I think it was very very pertinent to what we're going to discuss. But let's go ahead and get to this quick break, and you come out of the break with the thought that you have now. And we got a lot of people on the line, so we may open up the phone lines. But we're going to give, give a lot of context before we open up the phone lines for all those out there listening. I'm right, going to go to a quick break. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, 
every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Karate for Children is offered every Sunday at Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church Gymnasium from 2.45 to 4.15 p.m. for ages 5 to 14 years old. Children will learn Japanese karate as well as self-defense prevention skills to handle today's situations like bullying and child abductions. For only $10 a class, children will gain confidence, self-control, and focus all while having fun and getting good physical fitness. There are no bench warmers because everyone participates. Come join our family every Sunday at 471 Mount Vernon Highway, Northeast, Sandy Springs, Georgia, 30328. For more information, call B-Champs at 770-643-1286. Again, that number is 770-643-1286. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Maria Richards. And our special guest this morning is Tamika Peoples for this morning's discussion question. Out of your cotton-picking mind, why should blacks take over the cotton industry as Tamika was beautifully laying out how her response to this morning's discussion question and kind of laying out how and why she got into it. And I thought it was, it was beautiful because we've had you on the show before you know, talking about this mission, but we really want, you know, it was actually I didn't realize that this week, until this week, we're really exactly one year ahead of the last time we had you on the show talking about Seed to Shirt, and I do recall, as you said it this morning, that it literally started with you just saying, I want to get a t-shirt fulfilled by a black uh, producer, and you not been able to find that kind of leads us to last year, and now we're a year ahead, and we're going to keep talking about your progress. So glad to do that. But you were saying some comments before the break, Tamika, if you will. You can kind of pick back up, and then I'll be very interested in, in hearing what Maria thinks about what you had to say, um, if you will. Go ahead, Tamika. Yes, and <clears throat> sorry about that. I <laughs> love what I'm doing. You could probably tell, right? Um, and then, okay, okay, a, a T-shirt, right? When I thought about a T-shirt, and uh, the fact that I see brands, businesses, uh, movements like, you know, Black Lives Matter Now, uh, ADOS, We Buy Black, I think about the legacy we're really building and whose legacy we're building. See, the Gilbings, the Haynes of the world, the billion-dollar companies, they don't I don't know if they're as invested in our community as we're invested in our community, right? So if I'm going to wear something that I feel like represents the fact that I'm going to support black businesses, the fact that I want to rebuild and build up our communities in a way that's not co-opted, that's not marginalized, that we can look around and see more than 0.3% black farmers that still exist in this nation, we have to do things differently. We just have to. Right, and so, so the birth of seed to shirt arrived. That's what that's what I um, started with, and that's where we're going. We're <laughs> less than a month or so out from doing our fundraising campaign to to really open this facility, and I'm just happy to be having this dialogue because it's about 
time. <laughs> hey, I love it. I'm glad, again, to be able to, in a sense, talk about your progress, as I said, from one year ago when we first even were able to, lucky enough to, in a sense, find you and say, hey, I want to talk about this this queen, Tamika, people who's who's looking to become the first black-owned apparel manufacturer of this kind since 1908. Um, but if you will, um, I, I heard you, and we'll, we'll get Maria's thoughts on this, but as I heard you say, hey, here's the why. I started with the shirt, and then I heard you point out a couple things that we hear Dr. Cloud Anderson talks all, about all the time is places where there's competitive advantages. So when you talk about, as you said, an industry in which we kind of lead the world in, then to a certain extent, I think you may be jumping in an area as you said, to source where we do in fact have a competitive advantage, or if not, we do. Well, in a sense, we should have one. We don't, you know, to a certain extent. But since we lead the world in that, I think those are just strong thoughts for a, for for your why, if you will. Um, so when you hear all that, Maria, just give me, you know, any any questions for Tamika or, or your thoughts, because again, I'm familiar with some of her story. I think this may be your first time, you know, getting familiar with this story. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Tamika raises some incredible points, especially as it relates to legacy, right? You know, what what is a life uh, worth living if you can't leave behind a meaningful legacy? And so I am 100% in lockstep with that concept of, um, you know, building or creating legacy, especially as it relates to generational wealth. Um, The biggest thing I did want to kind of, I guess, query um, about is the cost of, you know, manufacturing, right? Because I'm the kind of person, and I know everybody doesn't necessarily fit the demographic because I I can't remember the numbers right now, but I know that black Americans are projected to have a negative net income, and that's not too far off into the distant future. And so – what concerns me sometimes is I think that we may embark upon um, industries or, or business ventures that require a lot of upfront capital, and we are such a capital-strapped people collectively. Again, I know everyone doesn't necessarily fit under this umbrella, but the one thing right. that does concern me is that, you know, business is there, – there are no guarantees. Business is very risky, and that's why most people don't start businesses because it is so risky. That being said, though, um, I do wonder if there is a way to get into um, manufacturing, perhaps maybe by starting off by raising capital through selling some um, catchy T-shirts or something like that versus kind of diving in there and, like, purchasing the the, um, equipment, purchasing the, the buildings, all of that good stuff. The only thing that I would like to know is in terms of the the, bar- the barrier to entry, so to speak, like the price point to get in, is that not so high? Is the risk not so high? Um, in Tamika's opinion, is, is that not a super high risk industry to embark upon? Great question, sis. Um, and yes, you're right. The risk is high. There's there's two uh, facets. One facet that I did want to address, and that is the the part of you know pre-selling shirts. How, how do you break in on a smaller scale? And definitely, that is the approach. Um, the the two within our name really represents the connection also to our motherland. There's a uh, 
there's a need, right, to distribute, produce, and distribute product uh, that are that's made in a very particular way that really represents uh, our goal out of what we would call a minimum viable product, right? So our legacy, which is going to be available in for sale T-shirts that you can print on, those type of things, um, is you know produced and constructed in a fair and equal way, 100% African organic cotton made by Africans, just produced in you know by sea T-shirts, right? So that that's a helpful way to get us into the market <laughs> without jumping, as you said, on the farther end, which is focused on the manufacturing facility within the U.S. Um, so, yes, there are stages to what we're doing, <laughs> but the first stage is certainly a apparel, apparel line that is provided by uh, African-produced company and then moving to the next stage, which is production house within the U.S. that will that is run and operated by Seed to Shirt, where we're able to do the boutique and then moving at to scale on the print-on-demand level. So you're correctly you're correct, sis. It's, there is a barrier to entry, um, but there is a, certainly a plan around the staging of that entry. So it's a great question, and I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, you did. I, I really appreciate that, and, I, and I'm happy to hear that you are – you know, progressively getting to the end goal, right? Because that that was what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, man, I just know how expensive this could be. And, you know, when we take a loss financially, I mean, it, it has the potential to keep us in a, dyro, a downward spiral over several generations. So I was definitely concerned in terms of the upfront cost and how, you know, how that all would pan out in the event that forbid the business doesn't generate revenue as quickly as anticipated, but um, it sounds like you already have that kind of figured out. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Thank you for answering the question. No, absolutely. That's that's what we do at Mental Dialogue. If you're a first time listener, as much as we want to highlight everything that this amazing queen Tamika is doing, um, we you know you you as well. If you hear anything as you're listening to her described as her being the founder of Seed to Search, there's questions that you have. Any anything, we will definitely open up the phone lines for those that are on the phone line currently. You will need to press one to let us know that you want to speak. If you're online and interested in getting in this morning's discussion, you will need to call six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. Again, that number six four six. Seven eight seven one six nine one. So Tamika, you see now why I have this queen on the air with me because I wouldn't have thought of that amazing question. And so it sounds like as she said, you have this covered. And so I, you know, I, I work hard to get Maria on this part on on this particular one because I was like, I got Tamika, I got to connect her with Maria because who knows, you know what I mean? There may be some, some opportunity there too because you know on this dialogue we all about making it happen live on the air as well, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting some seeds in the air for the end of this show, if you will. There you go. Yeah, no, I appreciate you, sis. Um, you know, and, and also when I think about the cotton side of it, you know, I was really kind of just shocked and appalled, right, um, and definitely happy to see and meet. I know, in fact, that's how me and uh, Montoya even started our conversation, our mm-hmm. relationship. It was centered around you know, um, our black farmers. And I just kind of dove in on, 
you know, we I understand the, the land robbery. Um, I understand the forcing and the minimizing of our black, of our black farmers. Period. Right. What What was really disturbing to me was the fact that we still had a few left. Right. Maybe the fifth fifth generation right. in, but we had a few left. And the 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 way their counterparts, which is we see this all the time, right, family, the way our counterparts thrive is their connection to industry. But there was no real direct path, right, for someone to say, I want to directly source, right? It was very controlled, co-optedly controlled. Um, and so to break, be able to break that down and, and connect and source in the way that we're talking about sourcing was – well, as we all know, some work, right? But that's how they were able to eliminate us from any part of this industry, is they controlled the connection to corporate industry. They controlled the connection to the uh, to the gins and to the – so then once they relegated you to this environment of just sell us your cotton to our co-op, we'll handle the rest, what do you think happened? Mm-hmm. It became very easy. And unless we had somebody on the other side, knocking on that door, we would, mm-hmm. there might not be a sixth or seventh generation of us in that space, which was mm-hmm. the whole point. What was the whole gameplay? So I'm playing chess, and I'm talking about it on air, but I'm playing chess. So, um, <laughs> sorry, that was No, nah, no, don't be sorry, Queen. Lot. This is what we do. Yeah, we. I don't have the... I don't call ourselves the return of intelligent radio or say that we have the smartest audience in all of radio for no reason. So, so absolutely. And again, I, I, I love it. You're playing chess and we'll, in a sense, leave that part of that. Let's bring this one piece of context back into it. Uh, and we yes, talked sir. about this when we had you on a year ago. And it's just so that people even know, because I'm always bragging, right? I always say since 1908, since 1908. So if you will, mm-hmm. because I know you, mm-hmm. I know that because you looked up the history. So let's at least give people some of that context so they know I'm not just saying that for no reason, um, you know, you found out that it's been since 1908. If you can kind of just even give that context to this conversation and we'll continue on, right. you know, what's happening. Yeah. Yep. Sure. So um, when, when you hear me talk about this production cycle, um, at the height of Antebellum South, right, when we were doing the, what we were doing for this country and then there was this freed moment, right, um, there was a gentleman named Warren C. Coleman, who realized, right, the same thing, right? We, could, we had a lot of farmers, mm-hmm. a lot of cotton. We had the best seamstress in the world. They were unionizing and not hiring us. Um, <laughs> we, we had pockets of communities that we had decided to go out and build, right, the Tulsa's. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we, he knew that there was opportunity. And, and we could potentially own that value chain from a cotton producer to ginning that cotton, milling the cotton, making what they would call back then Negro cloth, but it was our clothes, right? And so he uh, built with his brothers <laughs> and couldn't at the time even open his facility without a white man being on his board, but black folks, um, opened up his facility at the Warren C. Coleman Textile Factory, right, was opened up in... 1900, 1900. And when he opened up this Mm -hmm. factory, he could do it all. It was a 35,000-square-feet facility in um, Concord, North Carolina, and literally the whole town streets are named after him there. Um, This brother had a a gin uh, 
uh, a meal to break down materials, the factory where our brothers and sisters were able to go work as seamstress and produce clothing. Um, but you could imagine what happened, right? By oh, yeah. 1904 or so, he mysteriously uh, passed away and his facility closed. So when you're talking about the value chain or ecosystem from material, from source product, raw product, to material, they were able to kind of break that up, make it co-ops, make it unions, and the rest is history, right? The, some of the greats, like Warren, not, like, uh, Warren Buffett, right, he, he got his start in textile. Um, mm-hmm. The Carhartts, they got their start in textile. It, it, was the big, it is the industry that fuels the world. So we were essentially wiped out, just like they did Black Wall Street, just like they did our place in every other industry. But from from the ecosystem of production, that was powerful because now they had no black competition and they could control each segment of it. And so, yeah, that history was daunting. Uh, Atlantic Black Star writes about it. You can, of course, Google it, but you can certainly look at the historical archives to see what he was able to accomplish at the height of us being Free, but not so free, one might say. Right. No, I just think it was very important for, again, those who may not have heard you a year ago. I wanted to get that context. It's very important. It also brings to, to mind, again, as we ask today's question, out of your cotton pick in mind, why black should take over the cotton industry. If you haven't already been moved for the why, as I've listened to you talk about this with your passion, um, Tamika, it it brings the question as you hear again what happened to that brother, and as you say the the, the pockets where we had other pockets, whether it was Tulsa, whether it was Winston Salem, you know, with these different areas, where we know we have these historical pockets of some in a sense, some level of success during that time. We we now as we look at what we should be doing or say we should be doing, we, we talk about those times without a really a concept of how to break back into an industry, which is what you're doing. Uh, and so that's what, in a sense, the rest of this conversation, you know, kind of in a sense needs to be because, as, in my opinion, as you talk about what is it taking to or requiring to do, enter into this industry with the cost associated with it that Maria just spoke to and those things, then, you know, people can use this same methodology possibly to break into their area of passion. But I, as I said before, love to see you considering getting in this industry for the historical reasons that you're doing it, as well as there, in a sense, there should be somewhat of a competitive advantage, at least in my opinion, in this arena since, since you know, our clothes matter to us for a lot of good reasons and maybe some not go, not so good reasons. But either way, uh, I love the fact that you're doing this. We are just a break, if you will. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll listen to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. We'll be right back. Square Business Entertainment brings you their latest hit, I Really Want You, by Taylor Pace. Take a listen. Entertainment. They are also rewarding their fans with a new release every 30 days. Here's another one by Taylor Pace. 
Love can't define this. Love can define this. Can capture all your sweetness and your kindness. Love can define this. We're crippled and love would only blind us. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Maria Richards. Our special guest is Tamika Peoples for this morning's discussion question. Out of your cotton-picking mind, why blacks should take over the cotton industry? Maria, you just heard her give that history for why I'm always bragging about this queen being the first possible manufacturer of this kind since 1908. Um, in hearing some of her speak to that history, uh, any questions, any thoughts from you? Uh, definitely want to uh, uh, take advantage of you know having you with us this morning. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, you know, Tamika, thank you so much for sharing that rich history. Um, I will be honest in saying that some of those things that you shared, I was actually quite um, surprised by. So I really appreciate you for sharing that history, and I'm going to do my due diligence and go find that article on, a, on Atlantic Black Star and, you know, make sure I kind of do some deep diving into it as well. Um, you know, one thing I did want to ask you, too, is technology is moving at a much faster pace than it ever has in the history of mankind. And so with the, with the business, uh, are you at all considering robots or to what extent? I mean, I'm sure obviously robotics have to be involved, but – to what extent do you feel an obligation to keep things more old school in which you're you're working with, you know, black people ideally uh, versus, you know, getting robotics to, to run the business for you? Great question. Um, I think automation and textile is, is here. <laughs> there are certainly um, cut production and sew machines that will have to be in the factory. It just, it's a no-brainer if you want to keep up, right, especially scale and compete. Uh, however, there's still things that have to be handled by by the human. And so there's portions of textile that will still be, you know, those intricate turns, um, intricate stitches. Right now we're talking very basic, right, a T-shirt. And so there are technologies that exist that automate T-shirt making until a particular point. So we're absolutely looking at that and working with those uh, manufacturing companies that, excuse me, the supply companies that will be able to provide us with that equipment. But, you know, it's here to stay. I think it's just how you infuse it into your production center so that it, you know, allows it to be efficient but not completely eliminate jobs, which they'll always need to be a human in that loop. Well, that was a great question. Thank you um, for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Another great question. Uh, with that, with that said, and I want to you know is I kind of now understand. I don't want to give any necessarily trade secrets away to because, uh, but I did, I've already highlighted it in the write up. So I just want to at least uh, at least have you mention it and speak to it to know whatever degree degree that you can. Again, uh, respecting kind of how you're playing chess, if you will. Uh, but I'd like to highlight the fact that you are sourcing back to the motherland. If I could at least highlight that again, I think it's just something that our community needs to become aware of. Partly, let me throw this out there as well, uh, and I know, Maria, we've done another show up on a whole different topic where I know we're in agreement, uh, agreement with this, which is the concept of starting to realize that building a bridge with the motherland 
is very smart versus always trying to compete for old money in America. So I just kind of want to bring that concept when I speak to the fact that you're sourcing back to the motherland. So if you could just, again, mention whatever you can in reference to that, um, you know, just to kind of highlight that as well as a part of the show. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes, again, I thought it was very important. As I started to look at both sides of this house, I realized we were living in the same colonial oppressed states, just in different different continents, right? Um, Sourcing for the motherland was really important as well as uh, sourcing in a way (laughs) that we were respecting fair trade practices, humane working conditions, and production by, you know, building up what we would call uh, villages and communities in the region that I wanted my product to come from. And so I took nearly, I would say, right, still in the worst two years, building relationships with partners in the motherland in order to create and come up with our legacy line. And to me, that's very important because uh, when you think about, you know, let's say our producers uh, back in our homeland, they definitely are subjugated on the cotton production side, you know, fair trade practices. And when we say fair trade, it just means, you know, some of the things I mentioned, fair price, humane working conditions, they are, you know, they are certainly struggling. And so it was really important for me to source in a very particular way and and actually build relationships and build community, you know, so much so that, you know, we've, we've created a B Corp um, and a portion of our uh, purchase funds will go into an endowment where we're actually able to support those farmers not only wow. here but back in Africa. And the reason why we want to do that is because, you know, some of these farmers don't even have, you know, wheelbarrows to carry the cotton after they're done. They're still picking by hand. It, it, it is, it is bad, right? And so mm-hmm. we've created partnerships with with particular unions, fair trade organizations, in order to make sure that happens, and right, have teammates on the ground with second, third level quarterly evaluations as to how are we doing in that program. Are, are their needs being met, and are we really building community? 30% of those cotton farmers, right, still picking by hand, no equipment, are women. So mm-hmm. I, it, it, mm, there's no distance in the spirit. There's no distance in people. No longer are we separated. We just have to figure out how to connect. And they're not used to seeing us connect this way. They were expecting a white man or woman to show up on this phone call in these rooms because that's mm-hmm. who they're used to seeing doing programs like this. This is just bigger than a T-shirt. It, it's a movement. Absolutely. It's a movement to connection to home. It's a movement to connection back to our production roots. It's a movement to, you know, ha- have our seat at the table, forget it, build a table in a community, in, in an industry we run. I'm just not in, into building other people's stuff no more. So I'm building our own. Hey, not only do I love it, but I also wanted to highlight this aspect, because I recall this, and Maria, you jump in wherever you feel. After my, was highlight the fact of how much they welcomed. Like you say, one, they didn't expect, as you just mentioned, but I also know how much they welcomed you, and I'm pretty sure with that spirit of being concerned about the fair practices, because, again, we know those those buzzwords sometimes are played with, unfortunately, when there's no reg- nobody to oversee, per se, right? But just the fact that you're doing it with that natural connection to your ancestors, you're doing it with care, and that's quite, quite often is what's left out of business practices 
even when we say let's do business with the motherland, if we just take it and do it the way America does it, sometimes that will not be a help in itself. You're basically laying out that you have not made those relationships in that manner, but with concern for where you come from. So I, I, I big up you for that, for one. And two, just again, if you could just speak to how much they welcome seeing your face, if you will, and then at that point, Maria, whatever you you know may want to ask, please do. Um, oh, so how much they welcomed it. Uh, very appreciative. Uh, I realized that, you know, our African brothers and sisters are very much about relationship and community, and it took <laughs> a very long time to build those relationships because of the lack. Sometimes they're in of trust. Uh, we're very Americanized, <laughs> as mm-hmm. one might say, right? We, there's barriers with tongue. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I mean... Most people can say they can speak back to their people just in their own language. It is, it, they strip everything from us. So to be able to make these connections and understand that it was coming from a very authentic place, you know, the arms opened and they're ready to not have to do business maybe with their Chinese brethren who, as we know, have taken over the continent, uh, the French who's dominated the Belgians, I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, they're looking for us. So we just got to be standing up and coming back and, and doing our part and doing it in a really authentic way, not in a way that further subjugates them. We can't, right. we can't do that. <laughs> Maria? Yeah, you know what? I, I have to agree with um, Tamika, you know, wholeheartedly with that. Sometimes, unfortunately, because – as black Americans, um, we are looking at the world through the lens of black Americans, right? And we know that our people are oppressed and um, just really broken. Uh, and not saying that we are broken as if we are we are damaged, but meaning like the system attempts to break us at every every turn. And so unfortunately how that manifests itself is when we leave the country, we assume that the rest of the world is like America and that everybody hates black Americans. And the, and the truth is that's just not true. In fact, I have found personally from my international travel that black Americans are, like you said, Montoya, you know, we are embraced with open arms. And that's across a multitude of continents, mm-hmm. not even just the motherland, mm-hmm. but just right. in general. You know, we are global mm-hmm. trendsetters. And that's something that we have got to really embrace. And I know Tamika has already touched uh, touched on that as well. We are global trendsetters. And so when we leave this country, we have got to, uh, you know, release those um, rose, rose petal glasses. We, we've got to take those things off and approach our uh, brothers and sisters on the continent from a completely different angle. And we got to let go of these uh, false falsehoods that – you know, continental Africans don't like black Americans and all that stuff. Right. But it's just not true. It's not, not true. true. And like Tamika said, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, we have got to, when we do go to the motherland, we cannot go over there and act like the colonizers. You know, we should go over <laughs> there with the intent of empowering and collaborating and, you know, joining forces with our continental brothers, uh, African brothers and sisters, not going over there to exploit them in the same way that, 
uh, we know that white Americans exploit exploit labor here in the U.S. You know, so I, I I'm with both of you. No, absolutely. And if I could just even say this for anybody that this again, we welcome any conversation. So if you want to get in, please give us a call at six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know that you want to speak. But just to even throw this out there, because, we, again, we often listen in, in extremes, and you're absolutely right about how we are received. I, unfortunately, have not taken a trip to the motherland. Shame on me. That's something I will remedy in my personal future. But, again, having traveled other parts of the world, you're absolutely right that, that we are seen in that manner. It doesn't mean that you individually haven't had a bad either a bad experience in some other country or even in some within some African country. So for somebody out there that says, well, I have a friend that said they went there and they were received this way, like like sometimes people hear what you're saying and, and, and think about that, you know, that one extreme when the reality is that, that you're speaking in general, that is how we are received. And for my friends who have made the trip, I have not. I hear consistently amongst more of them favorable results then I and I've had heard negative results as well. I, I I take it all in, but I generally hear and why I can't wait to make that trip is that we are received and that our and since you know and that our I'm sorry that our brethren and sister over there are saying, Hey brother, you, you know, come here, you're welcome and in and, and if we're honest uh, being Americanized, when they come here, we don't – not to change the subject, but we don't always do that when they come to the States. Again, that's part of that Americanization, um, if you will. We are up against another break. This break right here is real particular for this show. It's going to take us somewhat in a different direction, uh, somewhat, and, and, and it's not going to sound like it's about this morning's topic, but it's just a, a cut that I heard from a brother by the name of Terry Simmons that I recently met through social media, and I'm playing this cut because I think it plays a huge role in, one, what Tamika is trying to do. And I would like, um, Maria, while I have you, I don't know how long you're going to be able to stay with me this morning, but while I have you, I would love to hear yourself and Tamika dialogue about what Terry Simmons puts out in this cut. So it's not really a commercial as much as it is, it's a cut to, to, to discuss further, in a sense, how we should be entering businesses and become disruptive and what matters in when it comes to sustaining a business, if you will. So if both of you will just tune into this cut, and, um, you know, I definitely want to hear both of your thoughts coming out. I do got a caller that wants to get in um, after the break. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. I post a lot of videos about the harsh realities of entrepreneurship, and it's not because I'm trying to kill a dream. It's because I'm trying to give birth to a dream. I'm trying to protect the dream, I'm trying to share information with people that can increase the likelihood that they'll be successful. So many people are jumping into entrepreneurship for one reason, one reason only. They're dissatisfied with their career. Um, they have a talent or a gift or a serious hobby that they are passion, that they want to turn into a business. And the focus is always on the front end of the business. So everybody wants to focus on how do, I, how do I get social media followers? How do I build a personal brand? How do I build my company's brand? How do I generate leads? How do I close sales? How do I get contracts? But the truth of the matter is none of that stuff will work until you learn how to build capacity. So when we start having conversations about capacity and infrastructure, eh, there are not many conferences that are touching on that. You know why? 
because most people that are influencers just want to get you emotionally aroused and they don't want to really give you the meat and potatoes of what's going to really make you successful. The bottom line, I'm going to use an analogy. It would be like saying, I want to be a race car driver, but all you focus on is the design, um, the contour, and the graphics on the outside of the vehicle. You don't focus at all on the engine and the capacity for the engine to generate speed and power. That's what it's like when we don't pay attention to the back end of our businesses. So some of my videos, I already know the ones that are going to get a lot of traction and the ones that may get limited visibility, but I put the ones out that I know that are going to get limited visibility because that's the most important information. The bottom line is you got to build infrastructure. You have to have systems. You have to have processes. You have to have an ability to attract and retain talent, to develop talent. That's where businesses are made. So let's just say if you're, you're a pastry chef and you, you put together these amazing designs and, you know, your, your desserts and your cakes, uh, they taste delectable and everybody loves it. But you can only pump out five cakes a week because it's just you and you don't have a, you don't, there are no, there are no written recipes, there are no written processes, so you can't bring in someone that doesn't have your natural gift or that doesn't have your level of training or education and have them duplicate it. Then you will always own a job. You will always put out five to seven cakes a week. Meanwhile, someone that learns about co-packing and manufacturing and distribution and builds a sales team and has a recall plan and all of the stuff that knows about preservatives and all this other stuff, they're going to go on to make millions and millions of dollars and their cakes may taste like shit just because they have the capacity. So understand, like when I post these videos about, you know, don't, a lot of these coaches and influencers are telling you it's all about passion, it's all about working hard, it's all about followers. That stuff is important, but it's not more important than infrastructure and capacity. Infrastructure, capacity, infrastructure, capacity. Systems, standard, standard operating procedures, processes, uh, leveraging technology. That's what's going to get you to seven figures. Love y'all. Hope this was useful. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Maria Richards, as well as special guest Tamika Peoples, our honorary star of the day, as you set to become first apparel manufacturer, black-owned apparel manufacturer in the country since 1908. This morning's discussion question, out of your cotton-picking mind, why black should take over the cotton industry a lot to to peel back with Terry Simmons' um, video that I just, again, played for you both of you to listen. But, real, this is kind of some area that you specialize, so I'm kind of going to let you kind of lead um, the thoughts on what you're hearing there, and I think it ultimately applies to Tamika from the standpoint that she's in that area, infrastructure, and, and that's the, and that's often we, it's something that's forgot about when we're talking about buying black and things of that nature. So Maria, if you will, and Tamika, obviously follow her, follow her up. Brother Pianca, we'll get to you after we get both of these queens' thoughts. Yes, so um, I really loved what he said. I think he was spot on. Uh, the only area that I would disagree is I don't think that infrastructure capacity um, is the number one thing to focus on. And I don't know, maybe I misheard what he said. I, he may not have said that, but 
um, in my opinion, the number one thing to focus on is a value proposition. Uh, what are you bringing to the market that attracts people? Because it's not enough to just simply have a product. A lot of times we work backward. Um, we tend to think of an idea and we create the idea. We bring it to fruition and then we pitch it to the market. That's actually the wrong approach. Um, what you should do is really find the market first and then provide value to the market through your product and or service. But going back specifically to what he mentioned in terms of structure and capacity, um, I love that because especially when he said SOPs, SOPs is, you know, standard operating procedures. And the reality is when you own a business, a business is an asset. Okay, it should be, you should be creating a business, um, not for all the vanity reasons, like he mentioned, that, you know, these so-called influencers or moguls uh, put out there, but it should be an asset. And assets are, you know, they should, be, they can be sold. Um, that's why they're valuable, because they, you can sell them and make a ton of money and then invest that money into another asset and so on and so forth. And so the best way to approach a potential uh, buyer of your business is by presenting SOPs. And what an SOP is, is essentially it is literally a manual. It is an instructional manual that walks people through all the processes in your business. So if you're an email marketing company, what this SOP would, would entail is the software that you and your team use to send out the emails, the way that you format your emails, your methodology to writing an email, your copy, all of that. That's what an SOP would entail. And you need an SOP to sell a business. In fact, buyers of businesses look for that infrastructure and that capacity. And if they if you don't have SOPs documented, if you don't have your SOPs documented, then what that means is you have no system. And if you have no system, then your business is only limited to the extent of which you're able to be in it and working in it all the time. And as a business owner, now, your number one goal. Let me ask you this real goal, quick. Real, yeah, yeah, let me ask uh -huh. you this real quick, Maria, in, in reference to, in a sense, one, I, I think, in a sense, you've been able to assist people with some aspects of that or even focusing on that and then bringing it back, particularly to seize to shirt, you know, from the standpoint of, I know Tabika can speak to how much she's done that, um, um, but but to a certain extent, in her starting this, and you've kind of asked that question of you know what is her original you know her initial approach as far as covering that cost or how to be smart about it, and so mm -hmm. I'm just kind of in a sense trying to circle back some of what we heard in reference to what she's doing, and you know maybe what does it spark in reference to that. One, it was just to allow the audience to hear maybe what breaking into an industry includes and what it, in a sense, should, you know, what the focus, in a sense, should be. Um, as you said, the value proposition is the thing you would, in a sense, kind of put ahead of both of these things. But I, I, I listened to it and thought how how often when I go to different places, how often I'm not hearing about it. Or sometimes on this show we talk about focusing on infrastructure, but we never get into the how-to. And so to a certain extent, I was hoping to do some of that with you and Tamika about her business, if you will, um, just kind of, you know, kind of bringing it full circle uh, for her. So uh, if you can give me a quick thought in reference to that, and then Tamika, if you could just mm -hmm. kind of open up how are you covering this area, because I think people can learn from the fact that, one, you know how to do it, and I just use Terry to introduce that concept to 
those to you know to our listeners, if you will. Okay, got it. Yes. So, I mean, honestly, you know, based off of what Tamika shared with us, it looks like she is really on par with what he's saying in terms of building that structure. You know, she's already outsourcing that work. So here it is. She's already positioning herself to uh, work on the business as opposed to in the business. And so I think that that is fundamentally what every entrepreneur should aspire to do is at some point you want to withdraw yourself from the inner day-to-day workings of your business and be able to outsource that labor to some trusted uh, folks. So I think she's already uh, on the right track as it relates to, you know, that capacity, that infrastructure, and those SOPs. Okay. And let me say this to you just so you understand. So you capture that. I don't know that I captured that just from my perspective, in a sense, I'm in media still trying to learn how to, in a sense, have a business. You know, you and I have talked about that in reference to what I'm doing, Maria. So so as you captured it being familiar with business in a sense, oh, she's already in that space. I'm just showing you that for somebody from from my perspective, I didn't realize that. Do you, do you understand? I don't know if I'm making sense mm-hmm. with how mm-hmm. this conversation is carried on, and I didn't capture that. But I'll, to me, if you will, go ahead and speak to some of what you heard Terry saying, how you're doing that, and how it is such a focus and why it is so necessary for this to be a success, because it will be, the, the I think, the foundation to you being successful with Seed the Shirt, at least from what I can tell. I'm sorry. Let me get her back up. Drop Tamika. Oh, here we go. Hold on one second. Sorry about that, Tamika. Uh, I got you live, no, Tamika. Sorry okay. about that. Go ahead, Queen. I was I was going in. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I agree. I I 100% agree. Right. The the value proposition, I believe, also was number one. Number two uh, is the capacity piece, and that is true. You don't want to own a job. Not my first rodeo. Right. Been been down that that road where you do have to think about who's going to be running your business day to day. How are you sourcing your employees? Uh, where are they? You know, how are you uh, thinking about succession plans? Um, and you know, what is your what's your what's your hundred year plan, right? And so, you know, my I, I guess the benefit of this is, you know, some of my military and operational background really made me think about that first, right? And I looked at environments mm-hmm. where the boutique production was happening. What what were they doing that was different than what we had traditionally seen in the manufacturing sector before we start to think about reshoring, right? And so sitting down and working with companies that were similar and taking on those models and saying, okay, yes, we can look at sourcing our employees this way. There's a 1099 model. There's a contract boutique production model. There's a you know, partnering with what we would call re-entering individuals. And I will say that is one of a, a, a definitely one of my focuses. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the, uh, I don't want to call it the Central Park Five, but the brothers and sisters, the brothers that were freed after all that time, you heard them talk about the fact that they were trained seamstress, right? And when you're getting out mm-hmm. and, and coming out and you don't have the opportunity to work in that field, you know, we've made strategic partners with, with, with environments, right, to, be hiring those individuals and and also nice. uh, our relationships with uh, industry leaders who are training uh, the new era of synastry right and making sure that we're partnered with them to to come into their uh, environments and and hire those who are coming out of their training programs so you know 
we're talking two, three years in the making of making sure we're building infrastructure because one thing that we we haven't been in predominantly as a people is production, right? So what okay. you have to do first is study. Uh, and I don't, I'm not. This is not to take away from those who are in in the production space. I'm thinking production right, at scale, right, right. manufacturing plants, ISO certified facilities. Right. You know, contract production, government contract production. Because I understand. You know, I do government contract, international tenders. You know, that stuff is what we are building and have built, so that when we turn the key to this um, opportunity of being a part of the reshoring efforts that the U.S. Has, un- has underway, being a black manufacturer in that space, we are taking industry-leaning standards to how we fulfill our facility. Um, that That is just what I've, what I've been doing. I mean, my team has been doing. So I, I agree with this, brother. It is very true. We have a lot of 99%, you know, 100, 99% of our businesses are one employee deep, and, and that's the reason why our counterparts are making, you know, millions and we're still in the hundred Ks. And so I have no nah, desire to go down that ro- <laughs> go down that road. Nah. And I'm I'm definitely trying to learn from uh the leaders in this space and uh, adopt the right models for our facilities. No, I love it. Maria, I want to be respectful of your time. We are at the top of the hour. Uh, any, how much longer do I have you, Queen? Do you need to go now? Definitely want to be respectful and thank you. If you do have to go, thank you for the time you've given at this point. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you for chiming in. Um, I could actually stay on for another 10 minutes, but right at 10 minutes, okay. I'm definitely have to get off. I have another call. Okay, no problem. So, yeah, we'll go to the break, and then we'll get you, get you get some thoughts coming out of the break, and then we'll get you off. Thanks a lot, Queen, for being with us. We are at the top of the hour, and we'll get to the callers after we, after the break. Listen to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. What's Ephraim's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases, and for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Ephraim Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Tees special guest co-host, Maria Richards. Our special guest this morning, Tamika Peoples, for the discussion question, out of your cotton-picking mind, why should blacks take over the cotton industry? Matter of fact, let me go ahead and go to the callers. They may have something that you want to pipe in on as well, Maria. So let's go to the callers. We've got a couple callers trying to get in. If you're trying to get in, you do need to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Our first caller is one of our number one callers, Brother Pianchi, out of St. Louis. How you doing this morning, King? What's your three cents on this morning's discussion? Well, how you doing, Montovia? It's been, it's been a while. Doing good, King. Yeah, you yep. know it's a good subject uh, on today's uh, on today's show that of cotton. You know, you also want to make mention about all the black cotton farmers that existed in the 1800s, the Democrats that brought them down. By the way, I just I just wanted to put that little jab in there. 
But <laughs> the, notorious for that. That's fine. <laughs> you, just, but, uh, just, you wouldn't be Brother Tiaki if you didn't do that. But go ahead, King. Yeah. And the lady was talking about uh, the association. You know, there's at least two big uh, black agriculture associations that exist. One is the Mississippi Valley Association. I can't think of the other one's name. Uh, Alcorn State has a lot of information on them. What associations do is that if you want a large order of something, you go to the association rather than trying to go to these individual farmers because around the world, that's what happens. You know, one of the largest cotton warehouses that I ever visited was over in Togo, right outside of Lome. Togo is a very large cotton-producing country, and those farmers, they bring their products, their crops, to those warehouses, and they sell them in the warehouses, you know, basically store. But uh, as far as the production, uh, North Carolina textile mills Mm -hmm. are coming back online because of the, the innovation and the technology that they're able to utilize in order to increase their efficiency. Also, mm-hmm. the textile mills in the Southwest is coming back online here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, interesting venture. But in Africa itself, period, there's a lot of opportunities for those who are able to, uh, you know, perform in those areas, from seaports mm-hmm. to the seaports, the, the manufacture of ammonia, and mm-hmm. also foods like chicken farms, a uh, latitude mm-hmm. which I've been involved in myself. So have at it. Ask questions. <laughs> and, uh, and you, you know, another thing, if you source, you know, if you're going to be a manufacturer, you got to have a source. If you source from, say, mm-hmm. abroad, then you also have to get involved in the shipping, the container, mm-hmm. containerization and the shipping uh, over to the United States. Now, a good thing about the United States is that they have a trade agreement like the Agoa Act where you can bring those products back into the country without paying uh, taxes and duty on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that helps give you an advantage. And also, mm-hmm. the sounds government good. Tamiga, pay, Tamiga, I think I heard you, you, you might want to pipe in it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. The, go government, the government would pay uh, for part of the labor that's utilizing and completing a finished product for something that was pre-manufactured abroad and brought into the United States and finished manufactured because you're hiring Americans. All right, look, I got to get back to listening. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all yeah, those amazing comments. Up. Tamika, yeah, jump in real quick, please. Uh, uh, yes, you know, I know our sister only has 10 minutes, so just any thoughts on that? I, I, I really appreciate you being on today's show, and, and thank you for all your knowledge and and, and you know, just enterprise thoughts around industry and starting and processes and marketing. And I, I, I want to definitely give you some time, sis, to any thoughts before I jump in, because you know I can jump in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely likewise. I, I've really enjoyed learning about you, learning about your business. I'm happy to know that you're already familiar with Dr. Harnett. She's a dear friend of mine. Um, So I'm just really appreciative of Montoya allowing you and I to share in his space um, or on his platform together. So thank you for your time as well and you, you know, being so diligent and so kind and answering the questions that I pose. Um, 
the only thing, honestly, I can think of that I would like to close out with is, you know, again, just the importance of the value proposition um, for anybody who is starting a business. Uh, I know it sometimes seems very easy to just kind of dive in with a product or a service, but you really want to find the market first. And um, I know that it, it's kind of like a foreign concept because this is not something that we're necessarily taught in school. But if you are reading, you know, posts inside of Facebook groups where people are complaining about the same issue over and over and over again, well, guess what? You have just found a market. And so now what you have to do if you if you feel so inclined to, is create a product or service to solve that problem. So um, please focus on that value proposition before you jump into entrepreneurship. Uh, strong thoughts. I'm gonna steal two more minutes because you say I got two two more minutes. I'm gonna steal it for from you. And so I just want to throw this out because we'll talk about this some before before she goes. Um, so because I know um, eventually you're you're launching your fundraising. So if you could just kind of mention. Who you're using, just again, I just want to at least familiarize Maria with as much of what you're doing as possible before we – she only got a couple of minutes. So just kind of tell you how you're going to do that and what you're looking for when it comes to that. We'll talk more about it later in the show, but I want to at least throw it out before she leaves. Oh, yes. Um, I'm working with Fun Black Founders, and uh, they're a group out of uh, based out of New York, and they're specifically focused on um, – crowdfunding, online crowdfunding space for black founders, just creating that environment. Um, we know that WeFunder exists or GoFundMe exists, but this platform is founded by uh, two black women who are really looking to incubate an environment where black founders can take from, go from concept to fund it uh, in the crowdfunding space uh, on their platform. So really excited about doing that with them. Uh, I, I know there's many platforms we could use, uh, but definitely – appreciate the fact that it was black women who were looking at this space in a different way. So I know that Enricher is there as well, Enricher Society as well. So many, many opportunities, but this is one online space that I decided to go with. No, sounds good. And Marie, I just wanted you to hear that before we let you go. Thank you so much, Queen. You've been amazing. Uh, we got one final thought if you want to take it. I know we got to let you go. Yeah, sure. I mean, again, thank you so much for allowing Tamika and us to, to share this platform, uh, your platform today. Um, Tamika, I wish you the best. I am absolutely rooting for you. If there's anything that I can do personally to assist you, um, please, you know, get my contact information from Montoya. I would love to connect with you on social media and beyond that. And I think it's brilliant that you are launching this on a crowdfunding platform first because, again, that is that, you know, market validation. If you notice that you're getting, that you're going to reach your goal, um, your crowdfunding goal, that automatically shows you that the market wants this and you are absolutely in the right direction. So I wish you all the best. I'm excited and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing your, your crowdfunding campaign. Thank you so much. Sounds Chris, good. Thank you so much, today. Queen. Uh, okay. Absolutely. Let's go to another call. Oh, let's get your thoughts here. While you let your caller, we'll oh. get to say your thoughts, and then we'll get to the caller. Go ahead, Queen, please. Okay. So uh, to, to uh, Brother Pianchi's point, he's right. You know, I am a, a, a steward of trying to understand the space before you get into a space. And one of the things I noticed about the relationship with Africa is until 2025, you know, trade relations with them is, is certainly open. So you're you're 
You're saving mm-hmm. yourself on duties and taxes. It's why the Berkshires and the H&Ms and others do business in Africa, import here, sell you to high price, and they're, they're living large, right? So I saw that, hey, this, you know, make sure you understand that. You know, the importing and exporting, you, you have to have agents. You have to have companies who are, you know, who are well astute in that. But not only that, you have to have your import-export permits. You know, check that box. Um, some of the things he spoke about around the associations, and you guys probably heard me allude to that a bit when I uh, mentioned my relations uh, back uh, on the continent and who I deal with, right? Uh, the, the unions, the workers' unions, the, the cooperatives, uh, then setting up my ecosystem within that. So I'm empowering, uh, you know, giving some level of support mm-hmm. to, but de- dealing directly with the head so that everyone involved is supported. Um, the same thing might be said for here, right? And I agree there are unions here um, and, and cooperatives here. Big, great, you know, Cotton of the Carolinas is huge. Again, where are we in that space? Um, so um, dealing with the right cooperatives, dealing with the right unions, you know, that is, you know, all done. And I appreciate the opportunity, if you will, to think on an international scale of how we connect these dots, right? You have to cast the right web, build the right infrastructure, have the right team, and, and, and you know, so I, I'm just happy to say we're there, you know, and we're ready to get moving with our launch, get moving with this, not just this concept, uh, and turn the key on the next stage of this. So, yeah, Brother Pianchi no, is very right, it. and we're connected that way. No, I love it. I mean, I have to admit to, uh, to me because I listen to you. Going to go to the caller now, but it sounds sounds overwhelming. But it sounds like you are dotting the i's and crossing the t's. Brother Pianki wants to get back in as well. Uh, but let's go to the next caller. Area code four eight zero last three three one four. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Good morning, Montoya. This is William Agnes calling from Dallas, Texas. Oh man! Hey, Tamika, let's like give you a warning. It's about to, the levels about to raise up. This brother right here. <laughs> I have no oh, idea no, what I, he's about to say, but I but I hope uh, you're ready, Queen. Get ready. Nah, go I ahead, King. Uh, go ahead, King. Doing, thanks a lot. King? Yeah, thanks for calling in, King. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I'm out here recovering from these tornadoes that's coming through, so I might be a little groggy today, but. I uh, I think mm-hmm. what you guys are doing is wonderful. I think the conversation is beautiful. You guys are hitting on a lot of great points, you know, such as value proposition and systems and all of that is very important. The only thing I, I, I don't uh, want people to miss, especially people who are listening to you guys, through my experience, one of the biggest uh, headaches and one of the biggest obstacles we often face, and I've been in been this, this uh, entrepreneurial game for about 15 years now, and people often bypass the mission, the vision, and the purpose, right? And this is where you actually cultivate the message. And that is so important to start with because the value proposition, which is very important, is important, but the value proposition oftentimes through the process will often change. And the thing about the value proposition is you don't, a lot of times you don't have control of what the value proposition is, the market does. And so in regards to starting with the value proposition, that's important right? But it's not the, in my opinion, and in my experience, it's not the, the, the beginning. The beginning is, all right, what is our mission? What is our purpose? And what is our vision, right? And once we understand that, that is what we are in control of, right? Nobody else controls that but us, right? And we can keep that constant. The problem with starting with the value proposition, again, is that's going to change. And the market says what the value proposition is. 
And so you really don't have control of that. And what I've seen in my experience is that can change four, five, six, seven, eight times. Another important thing about uh, the, the the mission, vision, and purpose. Matter of fact, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this real quick, um, William. Okay. I'm actually up against the okay. break. I want her to respond okay. to your initial thing and then get into the. You, okay. We'll keep you on, so we'll keep you on for the break, okay. and you can get into the second. Let her respond to your initial thing first. But again, we'll go to okay. a quick break, and we'll come back with William Magnew as well as our special guest to be Peoples for this morning's discussion question. Out of your cotton picket mind, why should why black should take over the cotton industry? We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Karate for Children is offered every Sunday at Mount Vernon Presbyterian Church Gymnasium from 2.45 to 4.15 p.m. for ages 5 to 14 years old. Children will learn Japanese karate as well as self-defense prevention skills to handle today's situation, like bullying and child abductions. For only $10 a class, children will gain confidence, self-control, and focus all while having fun and getting good physical fitness. There are no bench warmers because everyone participates. Come join our family every Sunday at 471 Mount Vernon Highway, Northeast, Sandy Springs, Georgia, 30328. For more information, call B-Champs at 770-643-1286. Again, that number is 770-643-1286. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, out of your cotton-picking mind, why blacks should take over the cotton industry? We have a special guest, Tamika Peoples. If you will, Tamika, we have a um, true speaker on the line, William Agnew. He basically pointed out his idea of how he sees value proposition and what that mission and vision, how that should, in a sense, take priority. Any thoughts about what he had to say? And he has another thought coming after that, but I want you to respond to his initial uh, his initial concerns as a longtime business owner himself. Yes. Uh, thank you, brother, for that. For that, Actually, very valuable. You're right. Um, the value proposition will adjust because the market kind of drives that. I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, and mission, vision, and having that outline is very important, which is why, you know, it's one of the first things we set out to do is just create that framework, understand what we're working towards and our why, and to make, make sure that's the foundation of our company and then build from there. You know, listen, our mission is that we're aiming to be the first black-owned blank T-shirt manufacturing company making the shirts that you print on, right? And our vision is to be ethically sourced, 
uh, and supporting black people from cotton seed to cotton shirts, right? And so that's why we built those pillars and created our B Corp and uh, made sure we have endowment structures and really focused on making sure we put everything throughout our business processes to include our parent company was structured around that. So I, I, I agree with you 100%, brother. Um, and, you know, I, not, a, not a novice at this either, but definitely wanting to make sure that we're addressing that from the onset, which is, which is why it was done. Uh, so I appreciate that thought, brother, and I agree with you. And sorry, please finish your thought, King. Oh, no, that's, that's excellent. I'm glad you guys. And I already knew. I already knew. Tamika, correct? Tamika? Yes, sir. Yes, Is it Tamika? Sir. Yeah, Tamika, I already knew you, yep. you had that. It's just I wanted to make sure we highlighted that because to get to where no, you very are, good you have point. to have that. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and the second point I was going to make is, you kind of hit on this, is anything, we often say this, anything of significance requires many people, right? Anything of mm-hmm. real significance that is going to bring about the change, it requires many people. And mm-hmm. with that being said, those people have to be brought along. And, mm-hmm. and so you, you have to start with the mission and the, and the vision and the purpose because, like I was saying and like you said, Everything else is going to change multiple times. It's not that's not what you control. Again, what you do control is that mission, that that vision, and that purpose. And that's how you keep those many people that you need tied mm. into the sacrifices, the working, the the the, the thing that the you know the late nights, the the long days, right? We have right. to always point back to what what are what are we trying to achieve, and how are we still connected to what that is through the process? That any process, again, that is of significance is going to be a it's a marathon it's not a you know it's not a, it's not a sprint we know that right and so with that Amen. being said it's so important to start at the very beginning with the mission vision and purpose so we can tie that back in every time we kind of get off off of our you know off off track so i just want to make sure that everybody understands that I, the, the the value proposition is very 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 important no matter what industry you're in right you have to have that that's important because mm-hmm. that's the nature of business you have to be offering something to receive something right but more right. important to that is to start with understanding where we're trying to get to what is our destination and what is our purpose and what is our mission and what is our vision for for you know accomplishing that and then we can keep everything no, tied into same, same. No, absolutely. Just wanted to add. No, that no. Here. Thank you for. Yeah, you know, no. That was a. You know, always. You always have brilliant ass, and I get exactly why you added it. Just because of, as you said, as much as we're covering, you just wanted to ensure that anyone listening mm-hmm. that may be learning from this, because yes. I'm learning as I talk to both of these amazing queens. You just wanted to ensure that that wasn't skipped over or looked at just based on the direction that the conversation had went. So I appreciate you. You always have that type of brilliant insight. You bring it to the table. So I appreciate you for being. Uh, you know, a part of the, the smartest audience in all the radio. So thanks a lot, King, for your hey, No doubt. No doubt. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank it. you, King. Have a blessed day. Thank you, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And we got Brother Pierre, you wanting to get back in. If you're out there listening and want to get in, you do have to press 1. I hope you're hearing me clearly. We do have people who listen via the phone, so I don't try to bring them on the air unexpectedly. You do have to press 1, especially if you want to get in and you hear Brother Pierre get in twice. You're going to be like, this brother's skipping me. I'm not skipping you. you got to let me know you want to talk. So Brother Pierre is back live with us out of St. Louis. What you got for us, King? No, I was going to tell her, uh, and Montoya, give her my contact. And I'm going to tell you the reason why. If you got some questions, and before we go on, I do not want to get involved in cotton business. So it's not one of those type of deals. But if you got some <laughs> questions about in Africa, 
I think I can give you some information. You make a mention about a relatively custom broker agents. Those are the people that can bring things into the United States, clear them through customs, and so on and so on. I know of one black person in the entire country that has the uh, certifications to bring them in any of the 50 states. And this guy's out of Texas if he's still doing it. And that's another area that if we're going to start doing things on the level of what you're thinking, there needs to be more African-Americans that's involved in custom broker agents. Uh, yeah. Chinese have them. As a matter of fact, when yeah. you go into schools, the classrooms are full of Asians. And another yeah. point I'm going to tell you about these warehouses in Africa. And the one in Togo, the one of the biggest I ever seen, the size of a football field from the floor to the ceiling. I, I think, from what I know, that they're USDA certified. Because mm-hmm. if they're not, those products can't come into the country because of diseases and so on and so on and so on. So, uh, Give me a get get my information from him. I definitely will pass. You know, I'll give it to him. I can share some points to you, okay? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate you, brother, for your Yeah. Yeah, and I'm always able to, you know, reach out to him as well, so I know he is available that way. Let me ask you this real quick, brother Pierre, before you go, and it's just the fact that you mentioned that we should be in the area. So when I hear about something I'm not familiar with, I, I, I have the question of, well, how do I do it? So if you could just even mention the even how to, if somebody's piqued by what you just said, uh, because you know one thing that I'm always pushing on this show is the concept of us taking advantage of these areas of need that sometimes we're just not aware about. So when you say we should be in this area of custom relations and, you know, the one black guy in Texas, if if I ha- I don't have a son or a daughter, but if I had one and wanted to send them in that direction, how, how do I even start with that? Because I don't know. Oh, I may have dropped off. I'm sorry. I thought he was still on with me. But either way, um, still a great idea. That was a great question. And you know, yeah, yeah, I I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, I wanted to know, but I was about to reach out to him and bring it to the table maybe next week. You know, I will tell you, getting into this into this space has definitely opened my eyes on international relations. Not that I didn't fully understand it before with my work in strategic government policy and all of that, right? But it's just a different level of operational approach you have to have when talking about international business relations. And, um, yes, I I don't often see anyone who, you know, looks like us in those rooms, right, or on those phones, right? Um, And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I too, you know, let me just digress here. I'm not, I am not in the cotton game. I'm the enrich the black cotton farmer game, right? And in order to enrich (laughs) the black cotton farmer, we, have to have industry and we don't have industry family we don't we don't control what was so powerful for me about owning a business you know um in 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 the space was realizing that i get to control who i who i work with right i'm going to contract with this Mm -hmm. guy because he represents x y and z and and dang it i don't have to go take you know so and so i can work with him right so there's a there's power in in the source in the ability to source in a specific way and so every time, everyone has their own uh, marathon to run right but no longer can we be a part of subjugating the very source providers that the world depends upon that look like us like we have to be a part mm-hmm. of the solution the only way we're part of the solution is when we build industry and so this is see to shirt is building industry Understand that, people. I'm talking from 
permits. I, I know USDA well. We we have, uh, you know, relationships with them. They've been in, in Africa since the 1900s in relations with Germany and Belgium and other people, okay? So um, we're working with USDA certified organic fair trade cotton uh, out of Africa. We're working with, you know, sourcing directly from African-American farmers here who, are, who still exist uh, in a way that just hasn't been done before. And so I'm, I'm, I have my baton and I'm running my portion of this marathon, right? And what I'm not worried about, what I'm not here to debate about is whether or not um, black folks have a market in this space. We, we feel the market. How many black T-shirt shops do you know? How many gra- black t- uh, graphic right. designers do you know that are making shirts? And plenty of them. The, Gilding right. is making a minute off of us. And we're walking around thinking we have agency and we're representing something that's not really representative of our community. They ain't worried about us sitting on their billion dollars worth of land and acres. They're not worried about that. You know why? Because we, we're not even a competition to them. So I would suggest to you is, yes, our black print shops are looking for us. But if we don't exist, they got to move. They got business to do. And so right. – um, you know, Now, it makes a lot of sense. Let me sorry, tell you what ahead. I'm thinking about. I think um, um, – William is actually trying to get back in, so I'm good. Yeah, this brother always brings something to the table. But as I'm listening to you, um, I'm listening to you, and not only am I inspired, but as you say, creating industry. Here's a question I would have. I wish, again, I would love to have heard Brother Piaki's idea of how to even get into that area that he was talking about. But just to even throw this out there, and again, it's just to try to have us think about how to, in a sense, jump into an industry because, you know, the question we asked this morning is should we take over the cotton industry? And obviously we're, you know, kind of just getting into details, as you say, the apparel industry in particular. But as you say, creating this industry, ideally if somebody's listening to this show and says, I would love to be a part or help Tamika with what she's doing, and I'm saying help from the standpoint of where are other places you would love to see people that look like us as you're building these relationships, as you're making this? Obviously, you're having to do it with whoever to create, in a sense, this industry. But where would it be nice? Um, you, know, you know what I mean? Just to have us think more about different maybe opportunities for somebody who wants to be an expert or even everybody's not built to be an owner, right? Everybody's not built for that but wants to have a, a, a job that's viable that could assist someone like yourself trying to create industry. Um, think of, can you throw out a few other areas where you would like to see some of us that right now you know we're not in those areas, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, agent brokers, uh, contract uh, shipping, um, I definitely try to have everything, you know, from the rooter to the tutor black, uh, but there are no, um, as far as I can tell, uh, international brokers that can get you from, you know, continent to continent in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I would like to like to be able to move in. I, I certainly um, import export agents are number one. I mean, number okay. one. If we if we're talking about connecting at that level, we need brokers that look like us and that and that understand what we're trying to do. Now, at the end of the day, it's international trade, right? And it's UCC, so they're just going to move how they move. Right. But I would must I would love to be able to work with a black-owned company in that space. Uh, the trucking industry, you know, here on the trucking side, I. I I think we're there, right? And I definitely have gotcha. some okay. relations there and contract stuff. So those are the few. Uh, and I know we have, you know, from the from the tech side, anybody who's going through, um, t- you know, textile or panel production and design, you know, now we're going to start to have a, a boutique production house that exists that is owned by us. So maybe, um, you nice. know, more designers, more, uh, you know, I think they already exist, but 
certainly on the international trade space, I'm looking for for brokers, international brokers. Okay. Yeah, and I, yeah, because I don't know what those jobs are, or, you know, those opportunities. I mean, just the name itself sounds like it sounds like it could be a great career if somebody had that thought process. But you know, we could never enter into industries that we're not even aware of. If that makes sense, we're actually up against the breaks. So we're going to go to the break. And we're going to come back with William. I think again has another um, three cents with, um, on this topic. We'll be right back and listen to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. Where all I ask is that you think. If you're looking to purchase or sell a home in Atlanta's competitive real estate market, there's only one real estate agent we call on, Ephraim Abdullah. Not only is he honest and straightforward, but he has a proven, repeatable strategy that consistently gets his clients the homes they wanted versus their second or third choice. What's Ephraim's secret? His virtual on-the-spot offer moves his clients to the front of the line for purchases. And for sales, his no-nonsense approach gets your home sold and off the market. For a results-oriented real estate experience, contact Ephraim Abdullah, a licensed agent powered by EXP Realty at 770-800-7922. Again, that number is 770-800-7922. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, I'll out of your cotton picking mind, why blacks should take over the cotton industry? Special guest Tamika Peoples, founder of Seed to Shirt. Again, we have another. I think Williams trying to get back in. If I'm looking at it correctly, William trying to get back in on this discussion. If, if I'm wrong, you know, no problem, King. I just want to pick out so you get back on the one. <laughs> you know what? You know what, Monto? You know I wasn't trying to, but I'm glad you did because I do have something to add to the conversation. Oh, perfect. And so, <laughs> please do. And so. And so with that being said, it's more along the lines of the experience I've had in the uh, space that we work in, which is mobility. And uh, the way we actually differentiated ourselves in the global market, right, is about through education, right? And what we did is we started with what uh, a school, and we actually got the school certified by State Board of Education. And what we realized, and this is what we realized, and this is what most people don't realize, the biggest transfer of wealth that nobody talks about that's happened in the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years that nobody identifies as a transfer of wealth is the uh, information YouTube era, right? And what I mean by that is it's free information. And what that has done, if you really look at the landscape and what that has done in the market, all markets across all markets, is that's taken a lot of market share away from corporations and giving it to the, the, uh, the, the person who looks like me and look like you. That is a transfer of wealth. Many people don't look at it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Right. So what I often coach, what I often coach people such as Tamika, uh, such as people who are looking to, I, I know Tamika's far along, so I'm not really saying Tamika, but people who are looking to do what she's doing or interested in being what she's being, or even her, she can take from this, is to really get people excited, and it goes back to the mission, vision, and purpose, to really get people excited is to utilize that, that same strategy of that transfer of wealth of education, which is why we created the school in the first place. What We saw that curve coming, and so what we did is we jumped into that curve because what we look at education as, which is what you're doing right now, Montoya, really, really look at it. You're educating people on the possibilities and the information, which gets mm. people interested, which gets people on the train, and then you have to have the right message. So if you got the right message, you connect to the message, and then it's, yeah. it's Right, a I see how it all connects. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so that's what we do. We lead, and we actually call education is the acquisition. 
So education is always wow. the acquisition, which is why this country was founded on people who were privy to education and people who were not. And what we can effectively see is the differentiation in that. And so we're still trying to catch up, and where we're behind is the education. So if you lead with the education and you have the right mission, vision, purpose, and the right message, then what you're doing is you're acquiring the person who is going to connect with that, and you're actually repelling the people who don't. And so if you lead with that, now that's a lot of investment on the front end, and that's why many people don't do it. Strategically, many people don't do it because if I tell you, if I say, hey, go start a school that is a free school of education for the industry that you're in, right, if I tell you that, you go, man, that sounds like a lot of damn work, <laughs> right, for free, right? right? But what you got to understand is you're front-end loading that. You're getting people, you're getting the attention, you're getting the information, you're educating people on all the do's, the don'ts, the things that they don't know, right? And as we can see, when we have these discussions, there's a lot of things that we don't know, right? Don't know. We're intelligent beings. Right. We're very informed, but it's just it's so much information, we just don't know it. And so what you have to be good at, yes, is the marketing and all of that stuff and putting and identifying the right audience. This is where the, this is where the rubber hits the road, and this is where many people miss it. You have to identify your message, your mission, vision, and purpose, and then you have to or understand what that is, and then you have to identify who is the right target audience for that message, right? And it can't, you can't be too general. You can't be too wide. You have to be very – if you look at our president right now, that's where he's a, he's a master at that, right? I despise him because of his morals and ethics, but at the end of the day, what he's very good at is understanding who his audience is, what his message is, and targeting those guys, right? And wow. so for anything that we want to be good at, whether it's cotton, whether it's uh, mobility, whatever, and we want to adopt and bring that into our fold and, 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 and be able to build generational wealth with that, we have to start there. We have to start with education, right? We have to be able to create the education. We have to be willing to give that education away. Again, if you look at the biggest transfer of wealth over the last 10 to 15 yeah, years, you're right. it has been free, right. free education. You, absolutely. Right? Yeah, better, yeah, like, like, and, and, and that's why you're reiterating that. You want to reiterate yes. so people fully understand yes. why it should be mm-hmm. free. Like you're bringing it up again on purpose. You're, you're about to end your yes. comment. I see what you're doing here, and I love how you set it up. And I want to <laughs> add this because I love adding context as I listen to people putting things in ready-to-eat morsels. That's what I, I claim to be my claim to fame, right, and so people can mm-hmm. really understand right. it. And when you do – and, and and you're great at that as William by nature as a as a teacher as an educator and so what I'll say right. it just reminds me of a thought from some other young brothers I've had on the show in the past that were disruptive to inter- and they said the internet is disrespectful and that's kind of right. a, a way of saying what you're saying you feel me like it's been the yeah. greatest transfer and that's what he with that yes. young brother but his name uh, Elders he says that Elders Washington he always says the internet is disrespectful and what you're talking about sure. is, is exactly what he means is I can go and get the information from free and now I'm your competitor. Right. The inf- the exactly. internet is in- disrespectful. And so that's why you're reiterating the willingness to give it away for free will now have to be yes. part of your business model or you will get left behind is what I think I hear you exactly. saying. So thank you for mm-hmm. that context and I'll let you yes. say your last comment and then let Tamika speak on it. Right. I mean, that's pretty much it. You summed it up perfectly. That's exactly the case. And that is, that can be your that can be your that can be the death of your company, or that can be the differentiation in your company. And really, at the end of the day, it is how how well and how consistent you are at delivering that message, right? And spending that time. 
You know, what, what I do know is there's a certain amount of time you have. It's about trust. See, all of these things are relative, and they're built, they, 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 they build on top of each other, right? They're all relative. Trust, right, is mm-hmm. a very big part mm-hmm. of people adopting your message. And to gain trust, if you understand relationships, to gain trust is to spend time. So in order to spend time and educate and uplift, so if I educate, uplift, enlighten, and spend time with you, you begin to trust me. When you begin to trust right. me, then my message begins to connect with you. And when my message connects with you, then I can get more buy-in to my mission, vision, and purpose. Now we have a movement. You understand what I'm saying? But without that, it's very hard to get the movement going. So a lot of people want to start in the middle, kind of like you guys have already talked about. Many people want to start with, you know, identifying the value proposition because that's the exciting part. That is the exciting part. The exciting part is, oh, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm ready to get started. Let's dive into this, get it done. Let's build this product. Let's, and people even think that they know that this is what the audience wants. And then a lot of times what happens is they get it and they try to offer the value proposition and they realize the audience never even asked for it. You understand what I'm saying? That happens. Yeah, that's, yeah, all that's crazy. Crazy. All now, thank you. A lot of strong right. stuff. I'm gonna let Tamika kind of jump in on okay. what what she's right. hearing. I feel, again, I think it sounds like Queen. You got a lot of this covered, but it's always good to hear it from different perspectives. And again, partly hoping for our audience to learn, partly educating our audience on what you're doing. As William said, you know, again, glad to serve my role with the platform, if you will. Um, I mean, thank you for reaching out, saying I want to deliver this message on this platform, just so everybody knows. Um, Queen asked to be on our platform to deliver it to you okay. first. So for all my beautiful truth seekers, smartest audience on all the radio, understand not only do I want to bring this sister to you, but she wanted to come here first. So I want to even put that out there, if you will, as well. Thank you, William, for again, for an, another amazing three yes, sentences always, always with you. Uh, Tabika, any thoughts about what that king had to say? Anybody else listening, please press one if you want to get in. Yeah. Very powerful. You know, um, Brother William, I was actually thinking about that with respect to our newsletter and blog, um, because uh, as you know, right, manufacturing was something that we had to concertedly learn about as an industry, and and getting into this space, I learned so much about apparel production and, you know, production houses and uh, employee models that I I truly, truly want to share that information. Um, so we're we're nice. certainly going to bite-size that from a newsletter perspective and then try to deconstruct my brain one day. <laughs> you know what I mean by that, right? There's a lot going on up there. Right, right, right. But um, right. just in bite sizes, start to, you know, leave some breadcrumbs. Um, and I, I am – I, we we have to be about the breadcrumbs because this this is always was started at building legacy, um, reclaiming and building legacy. So uh, we have to drop these breadcrumbs. We need for more uh, African-American-owned, black-owned manufacturing houses to exist in all kinds of spaces, whether that be, you exactly. know, I, I love the idea of curls, right, um, where, you know, we're producing our own hair products and we don't, you know, we're kind of disrupting the hair care industry, which we feel um, right. just models like that have to be what we build intentionally. And, yes, it takes work. Like, I'm not going after the sexy thing. It takes work to do this, but we have to do it. Because I can't look into my baby's eyes and hand them what we got right now. I can't, and I won't. That says a lot. That says a lot. And this is, again, when I say the return of intelligent radio, you know, this run, even for me, we're we're, we're four years in running, particular run. This is our 
technically our third attempt. We started out on terrestrial radio some years ago for about three months and then took it to the Internet uh, some years ago and stopped it, restarted. So we're on a four-year run. Um, and these days, this conversation today in particular is the epitome, in my opinion, of what the intent of intelligent radio such as this is is the opportunity to expose people to concepts or people like yourself that are doing the work. Because like, as I said to you a little earlier, I, I still stay overwhelmed as I try to get into this entrepreneurial space. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I may have done it partly for the sexy reasons that were mentioned earlier in Terry Simmons' uh, cut that we played. That, may have, that was definitely a part of it, just being frustrated with you know, somebody else controlling my life per se. Uh, I've definitely set out in this space and have made myself a job. Uh, and, and constantly I have people like William loving to jump in and talk about capacity and how to scale and things of that nature that, you know, having, he having done that. So he loves to educate others on how to do so. And so, uh, you know, it's my hope as I listen to the dialogue between yourself, Maria, William, like if, if, if and, and brother Piyaki you saying, call me directly. Again, I want to be that. What I do well is connect. And so, so you know, knowing that William loves to educate, uh, you know, I'm going to ask, I know he's still listening, that, you know, eventually that y'all connect as, as you want to get into the education, as you say, de, de, you know, deconstruct what's in your brain, having have to learn all of this stuff. Um, I would say he's the perfect person in at least figuring out how you would attempt to deliver it. Obviously, as you said, you've got kind of pre in a sense, you've thought about it, you want to do the blog, you want to deliver a newsletter, and, 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 and please do so. Uh, but I would love to, you know, you, maybe you and him offline connect just to hear what he would say in reference to how you want to deliver it. Here you haven't already done that as, you, as you know, as offer, you know what I mean? He, as he said, he jumped in front of the curve. And so when there's a chance for us to transfer using his words, information, then we have to be about doing that. As, as, as you know, Speaking of mission, uh, our mission here, uh, you know, we, we recently changed it um, from our, our original mission, and I think it applies in this very moment. So I want to, you know, just kind of bring it to the table. I don't even think I've ever said it on air. But our original mission, um, and, and, it, and it has served us, and we have done that, um, this we actually have Kind of like you said, started in the middle. I made that mistake, and now we're trying to capture it again. But our mission, previous mission, is now our vision, which was to raise awareness and reunite the commitment to excellence in the black conscious. And that's our vision now. Our mission now is to create a nationwide virtual neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through solution-focused fellowships via meetups, social media, and podcasts such as this. And so I feel like this very moment we are we are meeting that mission, if you will, Queen, and want to continue to help you do so as best, you know, as best we can. Uh, we're actually up yeah. against our last break. So let me hit this last break. When we come out, I got one particular question that I've, I've been saving I wanted to ask you, and we want to talk about how you're going to pay for all of this, if, if you will, in, in this last um, segment. You're listening to the Mr. Sure. Dialogue Talk Show. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Mm-hmm. 
My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways, every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, out of your cotton-picking mind, why black should take over the cotton industry. Before we continue with our special guest, Tamika Peoples, I have to say for anybody out there listening, if you, as if I can, in a sense, talk about my value proposition with this platform, again, this is technically our third run, we do need your support in order to keep bringing this type of radio to you um, if you're an individual. Please go visit mentaldialogue.com as you heard on the break. We do need your support as an individual if you're outside of Atlanta, at least become a supporter. If you're in Atlanta or choose to support more, uh, become a business supporter or more and there's opportunities to advertise for discounted prices and things of that nature so we are offering something with your support if you will at mentaldialogue.com or if you want to get your product or service out to the smartest audience in all the radio please contact me directly you can dm me on at the mental dialogue facebook page on the ig page mental underscore dialogue or call me directly 404-604-9477. We have amazing marketing packages that will get you plenty of marketing with the smartest audience on the radio. If you understand anything about intelligent people, they make they, they, they spend money on quality products. So if you have a quality product, please contact me. We do need your support to keep this radio on the air. Definitely are some costs associated with it. Speaking of costs, um, if you will. Um, matter of fact, yeah, before we jump into that, I do have one question um, just to kind of even get into some some of the details with the shirt, if you will, Tamika. And the one detail is I know in particular that, um, that from what I've come to understand that, in a sense, the organic part was important to you. And I wanted to kind of ask, in a sense, one, partly, why it was so important in, in to a certain extent and in my mind, as a, as a layman who doesn't completely understand your, you know, the industry per se, but in my mind, I'm like, well, does that create a higher expense 
for someone, you know, in a sense, wanting to eventually, you know, source with you or, in a sense, get their shirts from you versus a gilding or a Hanes, if you will. Just wanted to see how those two things connect because I think that's a fair question that I think people might have in saying, okay, we got a, we got a sister we can go to. You know, but of course, one of the first things is okay. What you know, what is the price point going to be to deal? You know, to deal with with just now new budgeting, you know, um, <laughs> company coming aboard so that we can source from our yep. own. So, if you will, kind of address that, if you will. Yes, yes, yes. Great question. Okay, so fair trade organic was important for me for the legacy lines because of what I understood or come to understand about um, the production practices uh, and, and just cotton in general. This is not to say that we won't have a traditional cotton line, but there's a lot of pesticides involved. Um, and, and those who who produce uh, cotton, certainly in certain regions, the pesticides can be very, very harmful, certainly to those in, uh, in the continent because of uh, the lack of tools and equipment they have in order to harvest the cotton. Okay. So okay. it was really important for me, on at least on the legacy line, to be fair trade organic, right? We Actually. also, um, you know, for you know, for all intents and purposes, when we were dealing with sourcing directly from African American cotton farmers, which again very few, uh, <laughs> we we have the ability. Uh, we are going to have to go traditional cotton, which is okay, right? Gotcha. Because like, just at a better price point, right? Um, so, yeah, just for the audience, there will be two uh, two line options, but that first is is the fair trade organic, and you know the price points are not. We can't think that we're going to be able to come in and compete with Gilgene right away, right? Uh, which cool. is why, you know, for, as a businesswoman, you know, you have to think about. You know what are your lines of work? <laughs> yes, my my B two C is 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 of course my primary customer, but there are lines of work that also allow us to do contracts that you know no one ever really sees, and it's more B two B. So we're able to mm-hmm. control price that way. So it's been a, a learning curve in those two two areas, but we're, we certainly have options for those who just want a traditional regular T shirt. You know, you produce it. I, I'm happy to support a black producer, but I don't really care about that. And that's okay. Some people just don't. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> so no, well, I'm glad we were able to answer all of that because you, you said a lot that for anybody like me who had that question. So so now I know it's covered, you know, in a sense both ways. So now the important question is how do you pay for all of this wonderfulness, if, 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 if you will. Um, obviously, you're having to take particular business models to, to survive in the industry, all that's being considered. But at the end of the day, capital is, you know, always an issue. Uh, sometimes, if, mm-hmm. you know, they say if it's your only issue, then you don't understand your business. So I, I don't think that's the situation <laughs> here. But um, sure. let's talk about, you know, raising the money and what that looks like and maybe how does it, if I, if I personally wanted to invest in you, you know, talk about how all of that applies, if you will. Mm, great question. Great question. That's why I wanted to do this show first because you always have good ones. One, the fundraising campaign, because that gives us an opportunity to, like, you, like we talked about earlier, do a level of validation and get people to support exactly what it is we're trying to build. So there's a, a fundraising launch campaign that will happen at the end of next month where we're anyone who is really interested in supporting what we're trying to do will have the ability to pre-order some shirts to do that. Uh, tap into some of the rewards we're 
we're cultivating and, and support what we're doing in order for us to reach our fundraising goals. The other things we're working on are, of course, you know, the contract production distribution. And uh, once we go public, we can't stay private. So we're, we're working on private investors. Um, and once we finish that out, we'll, we'll, we'll work on the public side and do the fundraising campaign, reach the remainder of our goals on top of things we can do on the VA, SBA loan side. So there are multiple things at work here, but one of the main reasons is the, the fundraising campaign that we're going to launch, launch publicly next month. <laughs> oh, sounds good. If you will, speak to that particular company once again. I know we've already kind of brought them up, but I also want you to speak to it from the standpoint of if somebody else, you know, maybe they now have no interest in what we're talking about, but have obviously sure. hopefully have learned at least – you know, about perspective on how to even look at and consider getting into different industries. So, you know, that, that particular platform, if you are this, you may want to look to this platform. You know what I mean? Like, let's answer that that part of it in, in the highlighting your um your platform, the, the black-owned platform that you're using. Sure. Black Founders is a black-owned platform, as I said, a headquartered out of New York. It's similar to uh, a We Funded or a GoFunder or We Fund. Uh, but it's black woman-owned, and they're strictly focused on uh, incubating an environment where black founders who typically don't get a lot of the uh, capital or necessarily support that's out there are harnessed in one area and raised from one platform. And those, those funds, and they even have some some efforts on the backside to have funds being raised on the backside to even donate to those who participate in incubators. So they're a great model, and it's the reason why I went, uh, chose them because I, I think they're really focusing on our community who we traditionally struggle in this space of being able to raise VC money or do fundraising in a more comprehensive way. So I like it. They're incubator as well as a, a fundraising platform, online platform, Fund Black Founders. Uh, absolutely. If you will, send me that, um, text me that website, and I'll put it up under the replays as well. Uh, you know, absolutely. So, no, absolutely. So definitely want to you know, highlight that and, and as you, I think people heard, let me just throw this out there, you know, in this sense, you didn't choose them just because they were black. Like you said, they're incubator. They're, they're actually serving a person. They're adding value. And so, um, you know, there's no, no, none of us can argue when it comes to getting into business that often we are, in a sense, struggling with that capital. As, as, as we heard Maria say earlier when she was first asking you those questions, you know, when unfortunately we can have great ideas and get them so far, but unfortunately, sometimes once we take a loss, it can be very detrimental to our legacy. And so, you know, just you know, knowing that that platform kind of has you covered is going to seek out, you know, assisting you with the refunding, raising those funds. At least that's how I understand the, you know, the platform works or whatever. And so, so that's very different than me just going signing up on maybe the more popular GoFundMe, if you will. So, uh, and that's what I'm never surprised at, right? I never. And, you know, our people never cease to amaze me when when we meet people in our community with good intentions because, as I always say, the one thing that we've been proven um, on the Mental Dollar, you know, as a part of the Mental Dollar Community Club is we're proving and throwing out the BS myth that we don't work together. Like, that's never been a true truism as much as it gets narrated in this country that's never been a truism and, and when I say never being a truism it's from the understanding which a lot of people fail to understand is that ultimately all groups we, we, we tend to overplay and give more credit to other groups but ultimately all groups come together and work within their similar interests and what I have mm -hmm. definitely found 
that in our community, with that value proposition and that education, all the things that you and William talked about, line up, we not only show up, but we show out. If I could highlight, you know what I mean, even that sister, uh, forget exactly where it happened, but she opened up a a, a, a a black beauty store, and did 50000 the first day. So don't tell me mm-hmm. what we will or what we don't do and how we mm-hmm. show up for others mm-hmm. but not our own. All of those are untruths. And so I'm just right. kind of, you know, just circling this all back together with the fact that you're using that particular platform who's going to work for you in a way that GoFundMe will not work for you. That's the difference when we move with good intentions. We have a minute and a half, Queen. The floor is yours. Yes. Whatever you want to get out, this has been an amazing two hours as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. The floor is yours. Thank you so much, Montoya. Again, I wanted to come to this audience first, and I just want to leave with who is Seed to Shirt. Um, we're, we're the first black-owned blank T-shirt manufacturing company, and we're going to make the shirts that you print on. Listen, there's no ethically sourced blank T-shirts that support black people from cotton seed to cotton shirt. We aim to change that. Because right now, the current ecosystem eliminates black production, minimizes black cotton farmers, and relegates black spending power. And Seed to Shirt is that solution. Uh, in our full scale, we're going to have APIs that can embed into your Shopify stores. We'll have print-on-demand support. So, listen, when our campaign launches, we would appreciate the support. Uh, you can go to our website now, SeedToShirt.com. That's the number two. And uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure, Montoya. Absolutely, and we will be reannouncing that launch on this show in particular. So for everybody listening, keep listening to our show. We're going to keep you informed of what's happening to, with these two shirts. Thank you, Queen. You've been amazing. This is the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We'll see you all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. We're going to leave you all with another cut from Square Business Entertainment. They're our supporter, so you can, too, become a supporter and get your business out there. This is a cut from Taylor Pace and Square Business Entertainment. We'll be back next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. Can you feel it? The music's hidden. I'm going deep within your soul. I'm about to lose control, girl. Let's get with it. Don't be so serious. Tonight is only about us. Let's get back and have some fun. Ooh.